Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. I am excited to be home. This is, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I, this is, I, I got to preach today like I've been out of the pulpit for two weeks. Is that all right with you guys? Man, I'm fired up. I, 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 I've been thinking about this message for two weeks now. And uh, man, Pastor Johnny knocked it out of the park last week talking about the battle of the mind, talking about renewing our mind. And I'm excited for him stepping in and fulfilling this pulpit and speaking to you guys. And what he spoke last week to you guys is exactly what we needed to hear for this week. Isn't it weird how God works? And isn't it weird how he coordinates? So, man, talking about renewing the mind and, and, and um, the battlefield of the mind and how we need to give things to God in our mind. So, two weeks ago, Pastor Amy spoke on Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And it's Nehemiah going before the king. And he walks in before the king, and I'm not going to recap her full message, or maybe I will, I don't know. She did such a good job, I don't want to touch it. So, but she walks into the king, and the king is like, Nehemiah, why the long face? And uh, I know there's a joke there. I, but Nehemiah, he didn't just, he, he could have brushed that off. Nehemiah seized a God opportunity. I don't know if you understand the implications. I don't, I don't know if I fully understand the implications of what would have happened to Nehemiah if he would have just brushed it off. If he would have walked before the king and the king's like, Nehemiah, why are you so sad? What's bothering you? And Nehemiah's like, nothing, nothing nothing's bothering me. I'm, I'm fine. Well, that could have been a death sentence if he would have brushed it off. But Nehemiah, seizing the God opportunity, he stepped up and he said, no. This is what's bothering me. My city lies in ruins. Its gates have been destroyed with fire. The walls are crumbled. And something has to be done to restore the honor of my people, the hope of my people. He seized a God opportunity. Uh, Pastor Amy, she, she talked about how it's okay not to be okay before God. Nehemiah wasn't okay before the king, and it led to the answer that he had been praying about. And then he stepped up in boldness. So that leads us right where we're at today. In Nehemiah chapter, 11, or chapter 2, verses 11 through 20. And I want to jump right in. It says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal wall, and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet, I said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. I want to stop for a moment. I want everyone to look at your, your favorite neighbor and say, State the obvious. 
And now look at your other neighbor that wasn't your favorite, who's your second choice, but is equally good looking, and say, state the obvious. State the obvious. Talk about stating the obvious. I love it when God states the obvious. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of God on me and what the king has said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So, the, so they begin this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you... Repeat after me, but as for you, we need to get this in our hearts and in our minds when dealing with people that oppose the will of God in our lives. We need to start saying, but as for you to the enemy, but as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Father, I pray right now that as we dig into this, as we go after you, I pray that you will just light us on fire with passion to do what you want us to do. Lord, to, to recognize the things that we need to do so that we can move forward and, and see your kingdom built and see your kingdom come. Lord, I pray that you'll open our ears, open our hearts, and open us up to do surgery on us so that we can walk out of here more like who you are and less like who we were when we walked in. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Guys, I'm not mu one much for uh, fancy points or anything like that. I, uh, I I'm, not, I'm not Steve Furtick, and uh, he, uh, he, he has like he rhymes with his points. But I will tell you today, I gave you an acronym for your points, and the reason why I gave you an acronym is because. I think we'll remember it because we're on a fast. So the acronym for your points today is E-A-T-S, EATS. I want you to remember this because I want you guys like to walk out of here thinking, what, what was it? Okay, it's E-A-T-S. It, oh yeah, because we're on a fast. So Pastor Ryan is intentionally cruel to us so we remember it. Um, no, that's not it, but I, I, thought, I thought it was appropriate. It is a little cruel, but it's funny, but it works so perfectly because I want us to walk out of here remembering what's going on. Nehemiah is dealing with brokenness. Nehemiah is dealing with brokenness in this situation, and there is a lot of us in this congregation and in this room right now dealing with brokenness, and it might not be the same brokenness, but some of us have broken down relationships with with our children, some of us have broken down relationships with our spouses, some of us have broken down relationships at work, some of us have uh, broken emotions, some of us have, 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 have broken finances, some of us have different brokenness. We're all dealing with different aspects of brokenness. And we all need God to restore. The issue is, is we expect God to restore a certain way. And I can almost guarantee you how God restores is never the way you anticipate he's going to restore. Revival is going to come to this church. It is coming. 
but more than likely, it's not going to be the way you anticipate revival to come. Because God always does a new thing. The, the Jews might have been expecting God to restore them one way. But you know what Nehemiah does? He ends up using the rubble, the rubble to build the wall. Instead of getting new and carved stones, making it look all pretty, he uses what's already been destroyed to rebuild. And restoration will come. But there's some things that we need to do in dealing with brokenness in our own lives. It's what Nehemiah did in this section of Scripture. So the first part of our acronym, EATS, is examine your situation. Examine your situation. Nehemiah rode out in the middle of the night. He did not take but a few with him, and he examined. I almost titled today's message, Measure Twice, Cut Once. But I, if, if, if I really were to give my messages a title, it would be State the Obvious. Because that's really what's going on a lot here. But he examined the situation. The, the, the king already gave him all the resources. All the resources he needed to fix the wall. But if he would have cut them down ahead of time, he might have cut himself short. He had to examine the wall to start the rebuilding. He had to get a game plan. He had to get a game plan before or he could start rebuilding. You notice what didn't happen. He didn't ride into Jerusalem. He was there for three days, the Bible says. And then he went out to access it. He kind of got a feel for the people. And then he went out in the middle of the night. No one knew he got a feel for what was going on there. And it's kind of interesting, though. He only took a few people with him. And we're going to address this later, but I think it's important. Some of us are trying to take people with us that aren't supposed to go with us. Some of us are trying to do things and bring people along that are really dead weight. It might be time to cut them off. You need to take the right people. We're going to get into that. But he examined the situation. And the reason why it's important to take the right people with you in your examination of yourself is because you don't want a bunch of yes men. You want honest people. And so often we crucify the honest voices in our life and they might truly, I, I, I remember my mom and dad being honest with my sister. And they, they were also honest with me. It's not like they just lied to me. Um, but they would tell her the truth. And so often when we hear the truth, it's not what we want to hear. But we have to have people that are willing to tell us the truth. Nehemiah wrote out and examined the wall. He looked at the wall. And, and the, the issue with examination, sometimes it hurts. It might stink when you discover some broken down areas in your life. It might really. Like he's riding this donkey or mule. We don't really know. But we know that he's on a mount. And a lot of commentaries I read said it was like a mule. And this is Mule Town, USA. And you guys probably know about more about mules than I do. But I, I, I understand, and I could be wrong in this, but I understand that mules have a very good uh, sense of their footing because they can see both their front and hind legs. That's why um, at the Grand Canyon, when I've been there, they wouldn't take horses down the trails. They would take mules because, number one, they listen, and also they have very sure footing. And Nehemiah got to places in, the, in, in, in this wall that his sure-footed mount could not trespass. 
He couldn't get past. He had to go around the brokenness. He didn't ignore it, but he saw it. I remember one time I was in uh, ninth grade, and I, uh, I was in a, in a basketball tournament. And here comes another basketball reference from Pastor Ryan. Just get used to them. They're going to be here for the next 30 years. So uh, 30 years from now, way back in the day when basketball was a contact sport, um, <laughs> um, sorry, hold on. I was in a three-on-three tournament, and they had portable goals. And you got to understand, I've been this height since I was 14. I've been tall. And so when I got to this height, like for me, the, the what I wanted to do in basketball, I wanted to dunk. And so dunking just, sometimes people can just dunk naturally. I knew kids that were this tall that they could just jump out the roof and they didn't have to do anything for it. But for me to be able to dunk, I had to train like crazy. I got these things called jump soles that go on the front and I would do six week workouts several times a day in the middle of my yard. I'm, I'm out there. I don't know if I have enough room. I'm just going to get down here. I'm out here doing, if I tear my pants, you guys have to laugh, okay? But I'm out here doing these things in the middle of my yard with these things on my leg and to build my vertical jump because I wanted to dunk so bad. Well, after putting in the training, I, would, I added like 10 inches to my vertical jump. So I went from popping the rim to being able to dunk the ball. And my vertical jump only gained because every summer I do the same exercises. I kept on adding to it and adding to it. And at the height of my dunking ability, I could almost get my elbow above the rim. But this is right when I started to learn how to dunk. And we're in this three-on-three tournament. And I went up for a dunk because, you know, as a ninth grader, 15-year-old, 14-year-old, somewhere in there, um, um, it's glamorous to dunk. My, I, I didn't understand until I got into college and my knees started to hurt that a layup is worth the same amount of points. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but um, but I, still, I, I still love to dunk, but I would rather have sure points because I got to be honest, in high school, I missed more dunks than I made. So there are times I, I mean, I would cock it back and just boom, and then the ball would go boom. <laughs> and so... <laughs> um, but this particular time, I landed on the support system for the goal, and I hit the outside edge of my ankle bone, and my ankle instantly swelled up like a, like, like a softball under my skin. And I got up, I'm like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I, like, just sub! And man, uh, this wasn't an official thing. One of my parents' friends were there, and uh, they're looking. He's like, Ryan, I think you rolled your ankle pretty bad. I'm like, thank you, <laughs> Captain Obvious. I didn't say that because I had respect for my elders, but I thought it. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my ankle was swelled into my toes and up to my knee. And so, but we already bought tickets to go see a movie, after this three-on-three tournament. So I sat there through a movie for three and a half hours, and me and my friends were watching this, and they took me home. I was like, I'll just ice it and everything. I iced it, and then I, uh, I, I pushed through it. I never went to the doctor. And uh, my parents 
like, because I've hurt myself before, you know, and the icing really made the swelling go down, and it seemed to get better. It didn't hurt as much and everything like that. But whenever I, I did stuff on it, like, it hurt and stuff. But So I had to get a physical every year. So I had to get examined. And it's kind of interesting. I was scared to death that they would sit me out for a year of unimportant sport in high school that I never got paid to play. I'm still not getting paid to play it. I don't know if you guys knew that. Um, I was scared to death, though, I'd miss a, a year of basketball, my first year of high school basketball. So in this examination, the, do the do uh, doctor looked at my ankle and said, well, it's still a little swollen, and to this day, they don't look normal. Both my ankles, I fractured them both in high school, twice. And I remember lying through my teeth to this doctor. She's having me doing all these exercises, and I almost fell over, FYI. And like she, they're having me do all this, and I'm like, oh yeah, it doesn't even hurt. It doesn't hurt at all. In my head, I'm going, ah, 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 you know, like, you know, like, it, it, like I'm, I'm lying through my teeth. And she's like, yeah, can you point? And I'm like, yeah, I can point. I can do all this stuff. I'm gonna raise up. I can stand on it. And in the back of my head, I'm like, oh God, please don't let my ankle fall off, you know. And it's hurting. It's excruciating. I'm lying through the examination. And then after my season that year. I went back because my ankle was still hurting. Because the doctor was like, well, if it's not hurting him, you know, I guess it just healed that way, you know? And like, these going by what, you know, what I said and everything. And, but they finally took an x-ray. And lo and behold, I fractured my ankle and I played on it for, I played on a fractured ankle for a whole season. And because I lied in the examination, my ankle hurts today. It didn't have to. My, like, when it gets cold, my ankle hurts. When it's pointed too long, my ankle hurts. When it's upright too long, my ankle... I mean, like, like it, it doesn't hurt all the time, but, like, it just it comes and goes. And um, it's kind of interesting, though. If I was just honest in my examination, I might ha not have the same problems. But too often, we take and ignore what's going on in our life we ignore the brokenness. We'd rather live with it than acknowledge it. And we don't give ourselves an honest examination. There might be people in your life that are telling you things like, hey, you really need to give that to God. That might be God speaking to you. And you don't want to recognize it. Nehemiah had to recognize the need. He had to examine the situation and the second thing he did was he acknowledged the need. He, we need to acknowledge our need. I didn't want to be set out of basketball, so I failed to acknowledge the fact that my ankle was hurting. I acknowledged it in my head, but to everyone else, I was chill, I was cool. I'm like, I'm good, I'm good. I walked as normal as possible, even though my ankle would hurt. And so often, we are the church of the living God. We're supposed to be bred in his love, and we're supposed to be soaked and saturated in the love of God. But when people walk up to us in church or at our houses, we interact with one another, we ask, how are you doing? And we put on this face, and we go, I'm fine. But in the inside, we're like, ah, I need help. I need help. What if? What if? 
God sent that person to you to ask you that question. What if God's trying to work in you through the people asking you how you're doing? But we're too often so, so concentrated about looking good that we fail to acknowledge the brokenness in our life. We have to examine the situation. We have to acknowledge that there is brokenness. Nehemiah does something here that is the most annoying thing ever. He states the obvious. I don't know if you've ever been in conversation with people that constantly state the obvious, but is that not annoying? The other day we... <laughs> I love you, Amy. The other day we were driving as we were going back to Sedalia, and uh, there's crop dusters all around. And where I was sitting in the car, I could see a, land, uh, a runway, but Amy didn't see it. In her defense, she didn't see the runway. But she goes, she smacks me. She goes, dude, Ryan, isn't that plane flying so low? I said, yeah, that's called a landing. <laughs> Like as opposed to a vertical landing, you know, like, like it was like it was coming in for a landing. She she states the obvious. Yeah, of course it's flying low. Doctors are the worst at stating the obvious. I'm telling you, they walk in. Well, you're overweight. Really? I have no idea. You know, like what? I can't believe I'm overweight. Or they walk in and. Say stuff like, you need to cut back on sugar. Huh. Uh, my favorite, like, I, 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 I give doctors a hard time. I love doctors. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to the, me the medical field literally saved my life. And, but I remember when I had my head injury, okay, I was as high as a kite on morphine. Like, I had bleeding on my brain, okay? So... I've never done drugs except for what doctors have given me. Um, but I was out of it. Number one, when you hit your head and you come to, you're kind of out of it. Well, I had bleeding on my brain. I fractured my skull, my eye socket, my jaw, and my pinky. It still looks weird. I don't know if you ever see my pinky, but... Um, and my head still looks weird. It's all right. You can judge. Um, but I, I remember... Like, I was messing with the doctors. I was out of it. And my friend runs, like, he found out that they flew me into Springfield. And, like, because it was a life-threatening case. They had to life-flight me. And um, I get there. My friend, he goes, he's my brother. And he really is like a brother to me. My kids call him Uncle Max and stuff like that. Um, and so uh, he runs. And, and so that, just to let him back to see me, because my parents weren't even there. They had to drive and everything. And. I was, I was just coming to, I was out of it, and they're like, uh, Ryan, your brother's here. Well, I don't have technically any biological brothers. I have two biological sisters, and um, I go, I don't have any brothers, you know, and they're like, oh, no, it's worse than we thought. He doesn't even remember his own family, you know, like, um, and my friend Max is like, I'm, I'm, I'm technically not his brother, but, like, we might as well be brothers, and so then they're like, so can you tell us your name? I'm like, I'm James. And uh, my, my friend Max is like, you're, you're not James? Come on, be honest. I'm like, I'm just joking. I'm Ryan. You know, like, this is the type of stuff I'm doing to the doctors as I'm on morphine. 
in my defense, I was reading the book of James at the time. That was the book I was studying. Um, but the doctor walked in, and he states the obvious to me. I have a crack in my head. My face is swelled up, like, out to here. My eyes swelled shut. And he walks in, he's like, you bumped your head, didn't you? <laughs> I'm like, I, I, I'm 90% I'm sure I said this. I'm like, you tell me, you're the doctor. <laughs> like, um, you're like, man, Pastor Ryan is such a jerk. No, I'm not. I was, I was on morphine. But it's so annoying when people state the obvious. Nehemiah steps in and he says, our city is in distress. Your gates are destroyed with fire and your walls lie in ruin. He did not say one thing that the people of uh, Jerusalem did not already know. They all knew that their gates were destroyed by fire. Some of them might have been there, or their grandparents might have been there when it happened. They all knew that the walls lie in ruin. Every day when they walk into the city or when they wake up in the city, they see the walls lie in ruin. Some of them might have to walk over the walls to get into the city. They have to walk past the destroyed gates to get into the city. He states the obvious. But the beautiful thing about when God states the obvious is he obviously wants to do something in the situation. When God states the obvious, he wants to bring healing. When God states the obvious, he wants to bring restoration. When God states the obvious, he wants to move in that area. And Nehemiah states the obvious because he needs to, people to understand their situation. Some of us live with stuff that is broken in our life for so long we think it's normal. That's the reality. These people lived with brokenness in their city so long they thought it was normal and they accepted it. This is just how life is. Life goes on with broken gates. Life goes on with broken down walls. But God has something better for you. God has something better for you. And so... We have to acknowledge our need. God states the obvious all the time throughout Scripture. But I, I noticed something about when God states the obvious. It has a way of penetrating to our heart because often what God says is something that we already know but we don't want to recognize. When God states the obvious, it's always something that we don't want to acknowledge. Some of us, the Lord is bringing to mind right now, you know that depression, you need to give it to me. You know that you're depressed. You know that anxiety, you need to give it to me. You know that relationship that's really on bad grounds, you need to give that to me. You know about that, how bad that relationship is. God, God's not stating anything you don't know, but he's saying, once you give it to me, then I can work. God has the resources to bring restoration. You don't. You don't. It all has to be God. It starts with acknowledging it, though. You have to acknowledge the need before you fix the need. You have to acknowledge the problem before you can fix the problem. You have to. If you want to pretend that there's no problem, well, you're going to just continue to live in a life with broken down gates, broken down walls, and wonder, God, why are you not moving? 
But as soon as we acknowledge the issue, then God says, okay, now I have the resources. But let me state the obvious. Some of us need to start stating the obvious in our prayer life. Lord, I need your provision. <laughs> Lord, I need your healing. We just need to state the obvious. Tell your neighbor, state the obvious. State the obvious. God states the obvious. I love that when Jesus is in the storms with his disciples going across the Sea of Galilee. I don't know if you ever realized this before, but Jesus always addresses two things in storms. He addresses faith, and he addresses the storm. But you notice what the disciples wanted him to do first. He wanted the, him to address the storm. That one time, his disciples ran up to him and said, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? And Jesus is asleep in the middle of the storm. We're going to drown. Je like, they wanted Jesus to address the storm. Jesus gets up and rebukes their faith. Jesus will always address your faith before he addresses your situation. Every time Jesus says something, if you boil down the statements of God in the Bible, it boils down to, do you trust me? Take my joy, give me your heart, do you trust me? Take my beauty, give me your ashes, do you trust me? Take my love, give me your heart, do you trust me? At the, at the bottom of every instruction that God gives us, there's a matter of, do you trust him? In your acknowledgement of your need, there's a matter of, do you trust God? Do you trust God with your need? In order to examine your situation, acknowledge your need, do you trust God in your need? No, that's not my tea. That could have worked. It should have worked. <laughs> but do you trust God? When you're acknowledging the issues in your heart, when you're acknowledging the brokenness in your life, there's always a matter of trusting God with it. So often we want to hold on to it because we feel vulnerable when we give it to God, but the reality is we serve a loving God that wants to help us through, that wants to help us in, and he wants to bring healing, but we have to trust him with it first. Nehemiah, he told the people, he said, your walls are broken down, gates are burned. Let us build. And then he told of the Lord's provision. And they said, let us build. Let's start this good work. Let's start this good work. When we look at the context of what God can do in our situation, we should always be saying, let's start this good work. Let's start this good work. Let's start the work of restoration in my heart. It might not happen overnight, but I could tell you that God can bring healing a lot faster than you can bring healing. I could tell you that God can bring restoration a lot faster than you can bring restoration. I could tell you that God can move in your situation like this. I was just talking to people this week about the fast, and God's already starting to work miracles, big things in their life. That's amazing. It's because we're trusting him with the big things in our life. We gotta trust God. We gotta trust God. Man, 
Today's a, uh, a message of injuries that Pastor Ryan has gone through. <laughs> but I remember when I was in college, I had sciatica to the point where I couldn't walk straight. And it was in my lower back, and it went into my leg, obviously. I stated the obvious for you. I don't know if you caught that. The, your sciatic nerve goes from your lower back into your leg. Don't you hate it when people state the obvious? It's so annoying. But it got to the point where I couldn't walk. Like, I would, I would be like this. And I guarantee you, everyone thought, man, that white guy thinks he has the best swag in the world. It was literally because I couldn't extend my leg. Like, I would get it this far in front, and I had to bend it just to walk. And I, I walked with a gimp. And so I'm playing basketball in college at this point. I had to get up 30 minutes early to go down and stretch. And so my stretching started like this. This is as far over as I could bend to keep my legs straight. I don't know what I did to cause sciatica, but that was probably one of the worst pains in my life. So when I was in class during my uh, junior year of college, I had to sit like this on the, on the chair. I had to sit one leg on, one leg off to keep my leg straight because if I sat down, my leg would go numb and it would throb like in pain. And I would walk like that. I would walk like this because I couldn't extend my leg. In the morning, I had to get up super early just to make it down to practice to stretch just so I could move. Some of you guys could probably relate to this. And I remember my mom finally saw me walking because I, I didn't live at home at the time, and she's like, Ryan, we got to get you into the chiropractor. And what the crazy thing was is the chiropractor say the obvious, well, your back's out of place. I had no idea. I just thought this is normal. <laughs> you know, like. But she did something. I had to go to the chiropractor for 10 weeks, three times a week. I felt like I was in a medieval torture chamber. They would stretch me, they would heat me, they would cool me, they would stretch me, they would pop me, they would heat me, they would cool me, they would stretch me. It was just this constant process. And then suddenly, the first time, though, she heated me up to get my muscles super loose. And then she put me on this table, and she popped my back, and she popped me into place, and that hurt so bad. It felt so weird walking after that. I still couldn't walk right because my sciatica was still swollen, but I knew that it was different. And I didn't like it at first because I got so used to being out of place that when I finally got put in the right place, it felt weird. And that's what the enemy likes to do in our life. He likes to make us feel so out of place that it feels normal. That we prefer being out of place. We prefer to be broken. Some of us lean on our brokenness like a crutch. Well, you know what? If I complain enough, people will listen to me. No, they won't. No one listens when you complain. That's why the saying, no one listens. I mean, there's, there's a reason. Well, if I whine, if, if, if I hurt, if, if I'm depressed, I'll get empathy. Well, you'll, you might get some sympathy. But are we leaning on our brokenness like a crutch? Are we willing to recognize it? Are we okay with it in our life? We have to acknowledge it. Examine it, acknowledge it, so we can get healing. The next thing is we need to talk, take and talk to the right people. Take and talk to the right people. Nehemiah took certain people with him. He didn't take everybody with him. The Lord put, a, Lord put a purpose in Nehemiah's heart that everyone didn't need to be privy to. 
There are things that the Lord's putting in your heart that you need to really be careful about who you tell in this season right now. There might be a business idea. It might, it might just be an idea to witness to your to, to win the, the, the loss at your work. I, I don't know what the idea might be, but you need to be careful so the enemy doesn't sabotage it through the people you're talking to or the people you're taking with you. You need to listen and take the right people with you. Nehemiah didn't take all the officials. He didn't take all the priests. He didn't take all the Jews. He took a select few with him to examine the wall, people that would probably be honest with Nehemiah so we could get a proper um, examination. And then he talked to the right people. We got to talk to the right people about the dreams and the purpose of God in our life. Because there are people that might be Christian and they love the Lord, but they will not speak life into the desires that God's placed in your life. We got to be careful. We need to use discernment. If you don't believe me, man, Jesus is having a conversation with Peter the night he was betrayed. And Peter is being, trying to be a good friend. I want you to understand the context. Peter is trying to be a good friend to Jesus. And Peter's saying stuff like, man, Jesus, even if all these yahoos betray you, I'll never betray you. I'm going to be with you. Jesus is like, man, I received that, but before the rooster crows, three t uh, before the rooster crows you're going to deny me three times. And then later, Peter's like, um, Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to suffer a horrible death. They're going to arrest me, all this stuff. And Peter's like, I will not allow this. I will not stand for this. Jesus, you're talking crazy. You need to let go of these ideals. You keep on talking about this for the last couple weeks. But man, I'm not going to let this happen. And Jesus turns and looks straight at Peter. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. There are people that aren't for what God wants to do in your life. But Jesus would not let, allow anyone in his life to keep him from the purpose of God in his life. So there are some people that are in your life for this season, for this season. There are some people that God puts you in your life this season, might, might be for the next season. There are some people that God places in your life for all the seasons of, of your life. But we got to take and talk to the right people about what God's doing in us. Because some people might feed your depression instead of help you get rid of the depression. Some people might feed your anxiety instead of help you get rid of the anxiety. Some people might feed your need for attention instead of helping you give God your need for that attention. Some people aren't for you. And that's a hard thing for me to understand because I am a people person. I want people to like me. I need people to like me. That's one of my character flaws. That's actually one of the things I actively rebuke in my character. Like, you want a, a glimpse? Can I just be real with you for a second? Because I, I, I don't, I don't want to be an unreal preacher. I want you guys to understand that I have issues. Amy, you don't have to agree so readily. <laughs> but I have issues. And I pray, Lord, give me confidence. I rebuke pride and arrogance. Lord, give me humility. Lord, I rebuke people-pleasing and peacekeeping. Lord, help me to be a peacemaker. These are things I actively pray every day because I want to be the man God has me to be so I can be the man of God for you, so I can be the man of God for her, and so I can be the man of God for those children. But it takes me saying, God, I recognize my flaws so I can let you work in me so I don't have these flaws as much anymore because, man, it's a constant battle. There are some people in my life I don't talk to anymore because they didn't help me along the way. I just cut them out. 
you know what? If they're not for me in the call of God on my life, then they're not for me. That's okay. It hurts me because I like talking to people. I want people to like me, man. Like, I'll go out of my way to see if people will like me. And I, I've been really trying to not be like that because it doesn't help any relationship. It doesn't help anyone. So I just try to resolve to be transparent and real with people. We've got to talk and take the right people with us. Nehemiah didn't go to Nehemiah didn't go to the other governors around. Like, I want you to understand, Sam Ballot, Tobiah, and Geshem, they were all governors in this empire. They all had resources. They had armies. They had, they, he could have went to them and said, hey, here's the letters from the kings, and um, can you guys help us give, give us people to build these walls? He didn't do that because he understood these people were against him. He went to the right people. He went to people that said, you know what? I received that vision of God on your life. And you know what? I'm going to do everything in my power to see it happen. He talked to the right people. And they said, let us build this wall. Let's build the kingdom. And the last thing, is I'm going to have a Baptist closing. I'm going to have about four. At least it's not a Pentecostal closing. There would be about eight. The last thing is we've got to shut the enemy up. When we're talking to the right people, I noticed, you notice that Nehemiah never even talked to these people? The wrong people usually have a way of asserting their opinion. These people rode up. What are you guys doing, huh? You know, are, are you building the wall? Are you rebelling against the king? What's going on? What, are you, what is going on here? You know, what are you doing? Are you rebelling against... Like, these people asserted themselves. I think it's interesting that Nehemiah, he never even referenced. He never even referenced the king. He had the letters from the kings. He had all the authority of the king. He had all the resources of the king. But he never referenced the king. You know, Tobiah and his gang, they referenced the king. They, hey, are you rebelling against the king? But you know what Nehemiah referenced? He referenced the authority higher than the king. He said... The God of heaven will give us success. Some of us need to take a page out of Nehemiah's book and tell the enemy in our life, the God of heaven will give me success in laying this brokenness down. The God of heaven will, will provide for my needs. The God of heaven will give me the healing that I've been praying for. The God of heaven. Because this is what the enemy sounds like. So you're praying again. Praying for that lost loved one, huh? 20 years now, huh? Well, still pretty closed off to Jesus, aren't they? Oh, so you're asking Lord for joy again, huh? Oh, you're still struggling with that depression, I see. Oh, so you don't have peace. That's interesting. Oh, you're going to give, I mean, that's how the enemy sounds. We need to start saying the God of heaven will give us success. Nehemiah pulled one right out of David's playbook. David stood before a giant in a valley. Probably not far from there. The giant's making all sorts of accusations like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed your carcass to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, and I'm going to trample you underfoot and all this stuff. David stood. <laughs> David stood before Goliath, the shepherd boy, when all the army was scared to death. 
And guess what David does? He states the obvious. It's so funny. I don't know if you've read this. I'm going to read it for you. You come against me with sword, spear, and javelin. I can only imagine Goliath going, sword, spear, who has my javelin? Who has my javelin? Like, I, he, like De- Goliath understood. Like, hey, you know what? I, I know I have a sword. I know I have a javelin. I know I have a spear. I know I have armor. I know that I'm coming against you. David didn't say anything to the enemy that he didn't already know. But then he goes on to be a little more precise with his obvious statement. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals of the field. And the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that, there, that th- it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. He will give all of you into our hands. Man, David spoke it like he knew it. Some of us speak it like it's a possibility. When you talk to the enemy, you exercise all the authority that God's placed in you. You don't have to put up with his lies anymore. That's all he spews. Sometimes he'll use truth. When he tempted Jesus, he said, for it is written, if you even, you know, strike your... uh, if, even if you strike your foot on a stone, you know, uh, the, the, the Lord will command angels charge over thee. And then Jesus says, but it is also written. There's a greater truth. The enemy is always good about sprinkling a little bit of truth into his lies, but the reality is there's a greater truth. And the truth is you don't have to listen to his lies anymore. You can stand on what the Lord says. If the Lord's placed in your heart a desire, go after that desire. If the Lord's placed in your heart a dream, go after that dream. If the Lord's placed in your heart victory, and he has, go after that victory. Start claiming that victory. David didn't have victory yet, but man, he was talking like it was his. I noticed something about Nehemiah here. Before the wall was built, Nehemiah was talking like the wall was built. Before his protection was around the people, he was talking like he had protection. But you have no claim to this city. He's talking to governors that have armies. And he's telling them where they can go. And he told them where they could find him. He's like, you know what? You have no claim. You, if you want to find me, I'll be up on the wall. I'll be building the wall. And he's, he's speaking like he already has protection. And that's the reality is you already have protection through Jesus Christ. 